Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Just ask yourself, have you experienced God more fully? And yet, there was just seemed to be something missing in your walk with God. You couldn't really just put your finger on it. Well, I can remember one of the first times that I prayed about this, and the Lord impressed me with this. He said, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit as a person. And I thought about that, and I remember thinking, I know the Holy Spirit is a person, and I know He's real. But the Lord said, be teachable, because I want my Holy Spirit to be your friend. I want you to know Him as a friend. Now, some of what I'm going to be saying today, you've already heard, but I really want you to open your heart and really stay teachable because the Holy Spirit wants to reveal more of himself to each one of us than we've ever had revealed to us before. Now, as we begin this lesson, I just want you just to kind of breathe up a little prayer to the Lord. Just submit yourself to the Lord so that our ears can be open to hear what the Spirit has to say. Now, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit tonight. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament that's used for Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. And it means one called alongside to help. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this lesson. It's one who has been called alongside to help us. Now, the key word is help. Now, the Holy Spirit is a personality just as real as Jesus. And he sent to us to help us. You know, sometimes I think we don't stop and realize that's why the Holy Spirit was given to us, was to help us. And theoretically, I think most of us would say, yes, I know that he's the paraclete and I know that he's a helper. But just ask yourself, have you experienced the Holy Spirit as a helper? You know, have you experienced him as your friend? And if you have, then ask yourself if you have experienced him as the helper in every single situation that you encounter. See, God's wanting us not to experience him as the helper ever so often, but he's wanting us to walk with him and, and have him as our very best friend. Now, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some big ball of fire and ball of power that's down on the inside of us. You know, we quote Romans 8 verse 11, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of me. And when you think of that scripture, what does it say to you? You know, do you think of just a power source down on the inside? Or do you think of a person who is all-powerful? See, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person, and God's wanting us to meditate on the fact that He is a person. He's a powerful personality that has more dynamite power than all of the nuclear warheads put together. And He wants to talk to us. Now, not necessarily that we're supposed to pray to Him. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. But since the Holy Spirit's called alongside to be our helper... He doesn't want us to get ahead of him. He doesn't want us to get behind him. He wants us to walk right by his side. So we're going to have to learn how to communicate with him so that we can walk alongside as a partner. Now, he wants us to allow him to be to us that which he desires to be. And he desires to be our friend. He doesn't want us to ignore him and put him over in a corner and pretend that he's not there. You know, when Jesus said, I must leave, but I'm going to leave you a helper, I'm going to leave somebody to help you, it reminded me of years ago when Jack and Lou went to Israel. We were going to be separated by miles. And so Jack said, I'm going to leave Bill there to help you. Now, Bill was in high school at the time. And during that time, while Bill was in charge of the household, 
I didn't just go my way and Bill go his way. I didn't just ignore the fact that he was there and forget that he was there. I didn't leave him over in, in the corner of the house and, and have him there in case I needed him while Jack was gone. Now, this was a time when Bill and I had a very special relationship, probably one of the most special times that we've ever had. We had really good fellowship. We talked together and we laughed together. And I came to appreciate Bill more than I'd ever appreciated him before. This was a special time for us. And then when I needed him to do something, he was right there to help me do it. It was just as simple as that. Well, that's exactly what God is wanting us to do with the Holy Spirit. He's wanting us to realize he's there to have fellowship with him and laugh with him and talk with him. And then every time we need him, he's right there to help us with what we need. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, not just to occupy some corner of of the temple in case we happen to have a need come up, but he wants us to develop a relationship. Now, it might have helped if God had given the Holy Spirit a name. I've thought about that. Sometimes when we think of Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, we're not thinking in terms of a person, but he is a person. And he's a person with more power than our finite mind can possibly conceive. And he wants to be to us individually what we need. He wants to help us in every single thing that we do. And when Jesus finished his earthly ministry, he and his disciples had been together for three years. And they had leaned on and they had relied on Jesus for everything they needed. When they wanted to cast out a demon spirit and they couldn't cast out the spirit, they called on Jesus. When they were hungry and needed food, they went to him. They relied on him. When the storm came up, they ran to the bottom of the, of the boat to find Jesus. He was there to help them in every single thing that they did. So you can imagine the fear and the panic that they must have felt when Jesus came to them and he said, I'm about to leave. I must go back to my father. Now you can imagine how devastated they were. And we've all had people in our lives on whom we depend. You know, it may be a maid. It, it could be your friend. It could be a a child or it could be a parent, but we all have someone on whom we depend. And I want you to think for just a moment what it would be like if that person all of a sudden came to see you and they said, I'm going to have to leave and you won't see me again in this lifetime. Now think about what that would do. You'd feel devastated. And those disciples felt devastated. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 14. We'll be coming back to this scripture. But Jesus has just told the disciples that he's going to be with the Father. He won't be with them to walk with them in an earthly ministry anymore in this lifetime. And they're devastated. So in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's trying to comfort them to let them know. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I'm sure that gave them some comfort, but they were going to be parted from him after he went ascended back to heaven. And so it's almost like he says, but in the meantime, I'm going to do something for you. And so down in verse 16, he says, I'm going to ask the father and he's going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Okay, so Jesus made arrangements for us while we're on this earth. Now down in verse 16, notice he said another helper. 
That means another of the same or another like Jesus. Now, he's not saying here, I'm going to leave you so that you can become more independent. He's not saying that. He's saying, you've been dependent on me for everything. So now I'm going to send you another helper, another like myself, and he's going to be there for you and he'll help you forever. And Jesus is saying, depend on him just exactly like you've depended on me. Depend on him to do everything for you. Now, Jesus didn't leave those disciples in a state of less than they had when he was with them. See, one divine person was leaving and another divine person was coming to take his place. He was sending another helper, another friend. And it wasn't going to be some impersonal influence. See, that would have been less than who they had. Now, I've heard countless numbers of people, and I've even been guilty of saying this myself. I thought, you know, if I could have just lived when Jesus walked on the earth, If I could have just lived and walked with him, oh, I would have understood everything that was going on and I would have understood my ministry so much better and and I would have been able to accomplish so much more if I could have walked with Jesus in the physical realm. But listen, these disciples walked with Jesus as you would walk with another man. See, he emptied himself and he came in the flesh as a man. Now, he couldn't be in all places at all times. He limited himself to time and space when he came in the form of man. But when he sent the paraclete to us, he has sent us someone who is not limited by time and space. He can be with us every moment of every day, abiding with us all of the time. That's exactly what he's talking about at the last part of verse 17, when he said he abides with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit abides within us, and he is continually forming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we actually have it so much better than the 12 disciples did. Now, that's hard many times to realize because they were walking right there with Jesus. But we have it better. That's why Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go to be with the Father. Now, I want you to turn on to John 14, verse 12. Look back in verse 12. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. And we think, how on earth could we do the same works that Jesus did? Okay, that's the advantage that he was talking about. Jesus did everything that he did, not as God, but he did every single thing that he did as the Son of Man empowered by the personality of the Holy Spirit. That's how he performed every miracle that he performed. That's how he did everything he did. That's how he accomplished everything that he accomplished during those three years. And the same personality of power that dwelled in Jesus resides on the inside of us now. And the same baptism of power is available to clothe us and to empower us. He didn't leave us as orphans. He didn't leave us and he didn't leave his 12 disciples in a state of lesser magnitude than they had before. Look in chapter 16, verse 5. You need to mark this scripture. Chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus said, Now I'm going to him who sent me. He was going back to the Father. And none of you asked me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So he knew that they were sorrowful. He said, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Circle that. That's so important. If something is to my advantage, that means it's going to be better for me. 
And that's exactly what he was saying. He didn't say, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit and it's going to be almost as good as it was with me. He didn't say that. He said, it's going to be even better. It's going to be to your advantage. Now, I want you to keep going back to the original name that God uh, called the Holy Spirit. He kept calling him the helper. All through the book of John, he calls him the helper. Jesus said, I'm sending someone that's going to be with you at all times, and he's there to help you. Now, I can take much better advantage of help if I know what the person can do. When we were building on our house, there were several times that people would come out and they would say, we want to help you on the house. Well, I thought about that. I I remembered those times. And if I never could figure out what they could do or what they wanted to do, we usually were never able to take advantage of the help that they had come to give. We'd end up just standing around talking. But see, if they came in and they said, I'm good at painting or I'm good at hanging sheetrock or I'm good at plumbing, then we could take advantage of the help that they had to offer. And we could immediately then just put them to work. Now, that's why Jesus is so explicit when he spends so much time describing exactly what the Holy Spirit will do to help us. See, there's scriptures after scriptures all through the book of John that tells us what the Holy Spirit will do. Not cl- uh, that's not even including all the other scriptures through the Word. Now, these are not things that we have to know about so that we can start begging God to do it for us. These are things that have already been made available. But see, faith to walk in these blessings comes from hearing what is available. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was showing us what was available to help us during the time when we're walking on this earth. Now, I'm going to show you the place from which you have to start. I'm going to show you the starting point. And then we're going to just name 12 specific things that the Holy Spirit specializes in to help you and to help me. Okay, first to the starting point. I want you to turn back to John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to give you a little analogy here. You have to catch the train. If you're going to ride on the train, you have to catch the train at the train terminal. You can't jump aboard the train somewhere in its cross-country flight. You have to find the place where the train has stopped to get on, the place where you're supposed to get on. Well, John 3.16 is the getting on place in the spiritual realm. And if you'll remember that, it'll help you even when you're ministering to somebody else. God said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, Makes him Lord. Okay, that's where our destiny now is changed from hell to heaven. It's at this very point that we change kingdoms. We move out of the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of light. But you know, too often we take this verse 16 by itself. You know, we can all quote John 3, 16. But most of the time we don't take it in context with what's being said in this chapter. See, Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night. And he was saying that he knew that Jesus was from God simply because of all the miracles that Jesus could do. And so in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying this is the getting on place. You, You have to be born again before you're even able to see the kingdom of God. Okay, now there are two realms. There's the physical world and there's the spiritual world. And they're both real. And to enter into either one of these worlds, we have to be born into it. I think it's interesting that birth is the mode of entrance into both of these realms, the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And in verse 6, Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit 
is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And then Jesus gives us some very vital information about the characteristic of the spirit. He's saying to be born again, it takes the spirit. And then in verse 8, he tells us about the spirit. He compares it to the wind. He said the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, now that's a very important scripture. You need to circle it. He compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. Now, we can't see the wind, but we can recognize and we can identify the wind by the sound. We've all heard the sound of the wind through the trees. We can recognize it from its activity, from the results of it. We can recognize how the wind feels. You know what it's like when you're outside and the wind's blowing against your face and you feel the force of it? See, these are the things that we have come to recognize, yet the wind is still unexplainable. You know, we don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it goes. And no one can control the wind. Okay, that's exactly like the spirit-filled life. See, the new birth takes place in another realm, and it causes a change to happen down on the inside of us. And it's just exactly like the wind. You can't see that change take place, but you can see the results of that change. You know it's real. Once you've encountered it, you know it's real. Now, a spirit-filled life is like being carried by the wind of the spirit. It's the most exciting life that you can ever possibly live. Now, too many Christians try to anchor down every step that they make. They try to reason out everything that they're, they're going to do. But see, verse 8 speaks of being carried by the spirit. And anytime we come to a place where we begin to yield to the spirit of God, we're certainly not going to know what all the spirit's going to be doing in our life. And we're certainly not going to know all the places that he's going to take us. We don't even know all the people that we're going to be witnessing to. But see, as we yield to the Spirit and flow with the Spirit, he leads us and he guides us in the way that we're to go. He wants us to flow with the Spirit. Now, that's why we're to become just exactly like a little child trusting in God completely as he carries us by the Spirit. Now, God gives us a check system because he doesn't want us to get into deception. And he gives us a check system, and that's the written word, because the Spirit is never going to contradict the Word of God. He never will. That's your check system. When, when the Spirit begins to lead you, all you have to do is see if it lines up with the Word of God. And in verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, the reason he said that to Nicodemus is because the new birth was prophesied in different places in the Old Testament. And Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of the word. So Jesus was saying, you should know these Old Testament prophecies. You know, you're a teacher. This should not surprise you. Now, I want us to look at one of those places where, where it was prophesied. Look in Ezekiel 36, starting with verse 25. Now, there's several places in Jeremiah and different places where this new birth was prophesied. Over there in John chapter 3, he said, it's the water and the spirit to bring the new birth. And here in Ezekiel 36 in verse 25, he said, I will sprinkle clear water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'm going to cut away the past. I'm going to clean, clean you up. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. 
Now, all scholars agree that the spiritual principle right here in this in this scripture is in accord with the scriptures now on the new birth that Jesus was giving to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Now, both of these passages are saying that it is necessary for a person to repent and then to be washed clean and changed by the Spirit of God. See, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. A new life in, in the Spirit has to take place if a person expects to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, now I want you to think back to the analogy of the wind and the Spirit. Even though the wind and the Spirit may be unexplainable in many, many ways, you can still know things that they both do. Now, that's what makes it possible for you to use them to your advantage because you know we can use the wind to our advantage because we know certain things that the wind will do. And the same way we can use the Spirit to our advantage because we know things it'll do. Let's take the wind. The wind can turn a windmill. We know that. And we know that because it turns the windmill, it's going to draw water. It's going to turn the wind generators and it'll produce energy. It'll cool off heated areas. It'll drive away bugs and mosquitoes. We know these different things that the wind does. And because we know that, because we have that knowledge, then we use the wind. Now, he compared the wind and the Holy Spirit. And we find that in the same way, Jesus very carefully described the different jobs of the Holy Spirit so that we could expect that, so that we could know that the Spirit was going to do that for us, and so that we could use all of those things to our advantage. See, if we're not knowing what the Holy Spirit is doing and and came to do, then we really won't take advantage of it. But when we stop and realize that Jesus told us so that we could take advantage of what was available. Now, I want you to write these things down because we need to experience every single one of these blessings. Jesus would not have been that careful to spell it all out if he hadn't wanted us to take advantage of it. Now, the number one thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is he brings life to us. Now, when I quoted Romans 8 verse 11 earlier... I stopped short. It says, The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. But it goes on to say that that same power brings life to my mortal body. And we need to take advantage of the fact that the Holy Spirit came to bring life to our, our body. John 6, verse 63 says that it's the Spirit that brings life. And there's times when we need to uh, believe the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to be that helper and literally bring life into our mortal body. God doesn't just blow life down on us. He poured out His Spirit. And it's His Spirit now that brings His life, the God kind of life, into us. Now, as the wind blows here and there, in the same way we're going to find that the Spirit comes and He flows through the land. He flows all over the world. And whoever will receive the one that God sent as our substitute sacrifice. Whoever receives Jesus has the Spirit at that moment flow into him and recreate life down in our dead spirit. And that happens all over the world. The, The Spirit is moving to and fro through the world. And all it takes is for one person as he convicts them and draws them to accept Jesus Christ. And literally at that moment, the Spirit comes in and recreates life inside of us. Now, the Greek word that's translated spirit means breath or life. That's what it means. It's the same Greek word. God is the one that creates and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings life. God creates and the Holy Spirit brings life. 
Now, that's why, why you're going to find yourself many times reading the Word of God, and it'll just be words on the page, and it won't mean a thing. And you'll read a chapter, and then you'll get through, and you'll think, well, I don't remember a thing that I said. It's just words on a page. Well, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 tells us about that. It says, the letter of the law killeth, but it's the Spirit that brings life to those words. See, it's the Holy Spirit that makes this Word come alive and become rhema on the inside of us. Now, we're here in Ezekiel. Look over in Ezekiel chapter 37. Here in 37, the old prophet looks out, and he looks across the valley. And all he sees in this vision is a valley full of dead, dry bones. In fact, in verse 4, God tells him, he said, I want you to speak to those dead, dry bones. And then he begins to prophesy to those bones that are dead and dry. And it says in verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath, or life, came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Breath, life, came into them, and they lived. See, it's the Spirit that gives the life. Now, when God is only somebody who is discussed theologically, it's just going to be dead, dry bones. Many people know about God, and they can carry on a pretty good conversation about God, but it's all theological. It's dead, dry bones, and there's no life in it until the Holy Spirit is recognized and allowed to bring life into it. You know, years ago during a lay renewal, we stayed in the home of a man who was an adult Sunday school teacher. And he was telling us about some of the things that he had discussed with his Sunday school class the week before. And he was using all of these deep theological terms. And it finally became obvious that we were supposed to be impressed with his knowledge about God. And the conversation was, it was really boring and it was just dry. And I remember thinking, Lord, I I can't believe that we're talking about you and we're talking about your word. And this is boring. But see, it's because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings life. See, when the element of the Spirit is left out, it's dry bones, even if it's God's Word that we're talking about. Now, the Lord is never going to come alive in a person's life until they allow the Holy Spirit to bring life into that relationship. That's why we need to ask for that. You know, that's a part of the work of the Holy Spirit, is to bring that life into us, to bring that life into our relationship with God. Every time you start to study the Word of God, you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring life into the Word. And then when you start reading it, you'll see things you've never seen before because He brings life into it. Every time you think about your relationship with the Father, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring life into that relationship, to breathe new life into it. And when you do, it'll keep your relationship with God fresh and new every day. So that's the number one thing that He does. He brings life to us. Okay, number two thing that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do is that he would teach us all things and he would bring all things to our remembrance. Okay, turn back to your marker in John 14. I think it's interesting in all of these scriptures, over and over, Jesus calls him the helper. Keep remembering, he's called alongside to help you. If we never allow him to help us, we're we're losing out on one of the most precious gifts that's been given to us. And in verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Okay, that's how they were able to remember the words of Jesus and write it down, because the Holy Spirit brought it to their remembrance, and they wrote out the word. Okay, so I want you to write down at this number two point that the Holy Spirit is our recaller. 
That's exactly what he is. He recalls things of importance that we need to remember. Things that maybe we've read in the Word or things that maybe the Lord's spoken in our spirit. You know, how many times have you been talking to someone and maybe they had a problem and all of a sudden it just came up out of your spirit and you started saying things to that person that they needed to hear and you thought, oh, I haven't thought of that for years. I I can't even remember the last time I read that in the Bible. And yet it just comes up and out of you and it's exactly what they needed at that moment. Okay, that was the Holy Spirit that was bringing things to your remembrance. The Word of God, so that there's going to be something down there for him to bring up. He recalls the things that we know, but the more we submit ourselves to the Word and submit ourselves to the Lord, then we have something there for him to recall. Okay, number three, I want you to look at John 15, verse 26. Again, he calls him the helper. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, this is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness of me. Okay, now the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus, and he reveals to us the depths of God. Now, the disciples walked with Jesus, but they didn't understand all about Jesus. There were a lot of things they didn't understand. Well, later, look up 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10. We're going to find out that it's the Holy Spirit always that reveals these things. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul has just been talking about the things that eye has not been able to see, ears not been able to hear, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his children. And many times we think, oh, well, we won't get to know about this until we get to heaven. But the very next verse in verse 10, it says, but the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us. These are revealed to us by the Spirit. Another scripture says that he searches the depths of God and then reveals it to us. Now, it's not that he just illuminates the things we already know. That is one thing he does. He calls things back to our remembrance. But he also searches the depths of God, and then he reveals all of those things to our spirit that he searched out. And everything that he reveals now will always completely line up with the Word of God. Keep in mind that your check system, because the Spirit and the Word and truth will always be the same. You know, I saw a movie years ago, and there was an old trapper that had gone way up into the northern mountains, and he saw things that he had never known existed before. And then he came back later, and he had all these children sitting around him, and he began telling them about all the things that he had discovered. Now, he wasn't just helping them to understand some things they had already heard about. He was telling them about some brand new things that they had never heard about. They had never seen them. And he was describing those things to the children. And I thought about that. I thought that's a good picture of the Holy Spirit as he searches the depths of God. And then as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he begins to reveal all those things that are brand new to us. He begins revealing them in our spirit. And you know what I've discovered? As the Holy Spirit begins to reveal those things in our spirit and make those things come alive about God, it's amazing then how suddenly you began to see all of those truths in the Word of God. And you think, oh, I've read that and I've never seen that before. But see, as the Holy Spirit reveals these things about God, then it even comes alive in the Word. Okay, number four. Look at John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. He knew that the disciples couldn't even understand those things until the, uh, the Spirit was given. So he said, you can't bear them now, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, then he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. You need to underline that little phrase. He will disclose to you what is to come. 
He'll glorify me and he'll take of mine and then disclose it to you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit declares things to come. He reveals future secrets. You know, have you ever just labored in intercession for someone and then suddenly it's as though God showed you something in the Spirit and you knew that everything was going to be okay? Okay, that was the Holy Spirit. I was praying for somebody in my family that I'm very close to and I just prayed and prayed and I had interceded and all of a sudden I saw a picture of them and they had their hands uplifted. It was a picture in my mind's eye. They had their hands uplifted and they were praising God and I knew that everything was going to be okay. Well, I got away from there and my imagination began playing overtime and I thought, oh, you know, I wanted that so badly. I'm sure I just imagined that. And so it was almost like I reasoned it away. But several years later, it did come to pass, and I I was sitting in church, and I looked over, and I saw them with their hands uplifted, and they were praising God, and it was the exact picture that I had seen in my mind's eye several years before. I see, the Holy Spirit had revealed that to me. He had revealed future secrets, and when he disclosed that to me, when he disclosed things to come, it gave me hope, and it gave me courage, and, and all of a sudden, it just renewed my faith. Now, the devil tried to come in and steal it from me, but... Uh, But if we'll hang on to those things that the Holy Spirit shows us, they're there to give us hope and to give us courage and to strengthen our faith. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, and we need comfort in this day and time, and He wants to be our comforter. You know, how many times, though, have we needed comfort and we've run to some person to get the comfort that we needed instead of running to the Lord? You know, there's times when we've overloaded people emotionally simply because we've tried to get all of our comfort from people. Well, the Lord wants us to run to Him first. The Holy Spirit wants to be our comforter. And then He may use people to comfort us, but He'll lead us in the direction that we should go. Number five, I want you to turn to Acts 16, verse 6. In Acts 16, verse 6, it says, They passed through the Galatian region, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. In verse 7, it says, The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Now, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do so, He will tell us where to go and where not to go. What did Jesus do when He was with His disciples? Okay, He told them exactly what to do, where to go, and when to do it. Now, we don't have less than than they had. It's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit has come. So right here is a very graphic example of the Holy Spirit telling them something not to do. Now, if we'll put on our spiritual ears, God will be very specific with us. His Holy Spirit will show us exactly where to go and where not to go. Now, too often we're too busy telling Him what we want to do and rather than listening and letting Him tell us. But He wants to be our helper. He wants to tell us. And there's places that the Holy Spirit will forbid you to go. And when He does, it's for your good. Now, I'm not saying that you can't override that. We can. We can override it and we can do exactly what we want to do because we have a free will and choice. But if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do that and if we won't override it, then He will tell us exactly what to do and where to go and when to do it. Now, if you'll think back, you can remember times when you knew that you were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do something. There'll be other times that you'll remember when the Holy Spirit led you to do something and it worked out right. And that feels good. It's right. That's when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to be your helper. You know, I remember once years ago being asked to go with someone to DFW. And I knew the moment that I said yes, I knew that I wasn't supposed to go. 
or at least I knew I wasn't supposed to go, that we weren't supposed to go alone. And I overrode that down on the inside of me simply because I'd already said yes. Well, the closer that it came to time to go, the more miserable I became, and my spirit was just in knots. And about six hours before we were to leave, I was crying uncontrollably, and I knew that we weren't supposed to go alone. And I realized that the Holy Spirit was forbidding us to go like that. Well, finally, Jack got so exasperated that he took off work. <laughs> he drove us because uh, I dreaded telling him we couldn't go after I'd, uh, after I'd already promised. So he took off work and he drove us. Now, I never will know positively why we were forbidden to go. But when we got there into the Metroplex, it was a terrible storm. We couldn't even, uh, the rain was coming down so hard, we couldn't even see the hood ornament at the end of the hood. And the traffic was terrible. And, you know, I don't know what would have happened if we'd gone alone and if Jack had not been driving. But all I know is that there are times when the Holy Spirit will tell you, and it's wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit cares that much about us, that he will tell us what to do and forbid us, keep us from doing those things that we shouldn't do if we we'll yield to him. We'll yield to that leading. Okay, number six. Have you ever known a time when you knew that someone needed a touch of God's love and you just felt empty? You just felt like you didn't have anything to give out? You just felt absolutely empty. Okay, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This scripture helped me so much when I found this. I circled it and, and I use it all the time. To me, it's such a blessing. It starts out by saying hope does not disappoint, but it's the last part I want you to see. Because the love of God has been poured out within our heart through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, another translation tells us that the love of God is shed abroad through our heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, too often, we think that we have to be the one to work up or manufacture love to pour out on people. We feel like we've got to be the one. They're needing love, and, and we just feel like, oh, well, we've just got to meet that need. But you know, we can't do that. And so what happens when we try to do it in our own strength over and over, we become dry and we become calloused. Well, that's not our job. We only have to be a willing vessel. It's the Holy Spirit who supplies the love. See, it's only the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit that can free a person anyway only the love that comes down from the Father. We simply have the privilege of being the vessel through which that love can flow. Now, when we feel empty, all we have to do is just say, Holy Spirit, fill me up with your love and flow your love through me to this person. And you can be just as empty. You can be tired. You can have been under the worries and cares of this world. And in an instant of time, you can say, Father, forgive me for getting under the worries and cares. This person needs help, and I'm asking you to flow the love of the Father down through me that it can flow through me to this person. And immediately, you can feel that love flowing through you. Now, all God wants is for us to come to a place where we are restfully available. We don't have to push and pull and make it happen. Number seven, we find that all through the book of Acts, we see where the Holy Spirit brought power and anointing, and he brought boldness to their ministry. All through the book of Acts. Now, when we attempt something on our own, we're going to find out that we're going into that situation without power, without anointing, and without godly bonus. Anytime we attempt it on our own. Now, not all bonuses of God. Sometimes uh, a person can be aggressive, and we think of that as bonus. But the true bonus to witness, to be a witness, comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's something you can't conjure up, you can't manufacture it. He simply wants us to ask 
and then be an open vessel to receive. And when we ask, then he will pour out his power, he'll pour out his anointing, and he'll pour out his bonus. If you think, oh, I just can't witness, you know, I'm so frightened to, uh, to witness, I don't know what I'll say, I may say the wrong thing. Well, just simply say, Holy Spirit, you're the one that gives me the bonus. And when we receive that godly bonus from him, you'll find yourself witnessing and you won't even realize it. It won't even be anything you plan to do. But you'll just find yourself in a situation where you're telling someone about the Lord. Okay, number eight. Turn to Romans 8, verse 15. He said, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. See, we all had a spirit of of slavery that kept us in fear before we were saved. But he said, you haven't received a spirit of slavery that's leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Underline that. A spirit of adoption as sons by which now we can cry, Abba, Father. And then circle verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That verse 16 is so good. Okay, now verse 15 is telling us that we've received a spirit of adoption as sons, and that's why we can cry out, Abba, Father. See, it's the Holy Spirit witnessing to our spirit man that causes us to be able to cry out and, and know that God is our Father. Now, we would not be able to know to do that if we didn't have the Holy Spirit witnessing to our spirit. He's declaring to our spirit that we're God's child. Now, I find so many people who are fearful that they might not be saved. You know, they're, they're fearful that they might end up in hell. And they just live in this constant fear all the time. Now, it's so wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit will come and witness to the Christian so that they can know that truly they are God's child. That's a wonderful promise here. Now, if you happen to have times when you doubt that, and you know that you've done all the things that the Bible has told you to do, you know that you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you know that you believe God raised him from the dead, but that fear comes at times and tries to just choke you and, and, and put you in bondage, then just allow the Holy Spirit to begin bearing witness to your, to your heart. Ask him to do that. Ask him to begin to bear witness, and he will begin to convince your heart that you belong to the Father. And boy, when that happens, then you'll find yourself just crying out, Abba, Father. It'd just be the most natural thing in the world. Number nine. I want you to look on down in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. There again, he's the helper. He's helping our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of the Father. According to the will of the Father. Okay, now the Holy Spirit not only teaches us how to pray, but we're going to find out there's times when he will actually pray through us. Now these are the times when you don't know how to pray and and it's a situation that's serious and you just think, oh Lord, I don't have any idea how to pray. Well, if we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and, and pray in the Spirit, he will pray through you according to the perfect will of the Father. And what does the Bible tell us over in 1 John 5, 14 and 15? It tells us that if we pray according to the perfect will of the Father, then we know that the Father what? Hears us. And if we know that the Father hears us, then we know that we're going to receive that thing that we've asked for. Isn't that good? That is good. Okay, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray then. Okay, number 10. You don't have to look up Galatians 5.22, but that's what lists out all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, 
the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, all of those are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the past, I found myself concerned about the fact many times that I wouldn't be kind enough or, or maybe I, I wasn't good enough or I wasn't loving enough. And I'm sure we've all thought that at times and we've tried so hard to be kinder or, or to be more loving. And pretty soon we find ourselves just worn out at the end of the day. Hey, those are the nine attributes of the Holy Spirit. That's, it's the Holy Spirit's fruit. It, and he produces those things in us as we submit to him. That's what he wants to do. He wants to produce that in us. He develops the fruit on the inside of us. Well, what is the fruit? It's simply the character of Jesus. And the closer we walk in tune with the Holy Spirit, remember what he says that he does? He creates that attribute of Jesus on the inside of us. And that fruit begins to, to grow. Now, a lot is being said about joy nowadays simply because the worries and the cares are all around us and it's easy to lose our joy if we're not careful. We hear a lot about the joy of the Lord being our strength and we're needing strength and we've heard teachings on if the devil can't get your joy, can't steal your goods and on and on we're hearing all these things. Well, joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit and it's in being filled with the Holy Spirit anew every single day that keeps that joy. It keeps it growing. Later, look up 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, but it talks about the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I thoroughly enjoy thinking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is full of joy. Many times we don't think about that. But the Holy Spirit is full of joy. He not only is full of joy, but he imparts joy to us. And the same thing with love. The Holy Spirit loves us. Now, I had no problem realizing that God loved me. I really didn't have any problem realizing that Jesus loved me. But you know, I had to have my mind renewed to the fact that the Holy Spirit who came to help me and, and work through me and work Jesus in me, that he loves me. And I had to get a revelation of that so that that would come alive down in my soulish realm. Now, since we're in Romans anyway, go ahead and turn to Romans 15.30. just going to give you an example here. Romans 15 verse 30 says, I urge you, brethren by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit. You know, I've been finding that more and more scriptures throughout the Word of God where it talks about the love of the Spirit. Now, the Father loves me, the Son loves me, and the Holy Spirit loves me too. And the Holy Spirit wants to be loved by us. Now, we thank God all the time for loving us enough to send His Son, and, and we thank the Son for loving us enough to come and die for us. But we need to be overwhelmed with gratitude that the Holy Spirit would come and walk daily with us to be our helper and to help us. We need to be grateful all the time for the fact that he loves us that much. Okay, number 11. The number 11 job of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. Now, that's called regeneration. Now, later, look up Titus 3, 5, and 6. But it tells us that we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that he does for us. Regeneration is a step past the new birth experience. See, the new birth gets us into the kingdom of God. But regeneration goes to the very depths of our soul and transforms us. It transforms our thoughts, our mind. It transforms our affections and, and our desires. All of a sudden, you'll just find yourself not desiring the old things that you used to desire. And he creates within you new desires, desires that are good and that draw us closer to the Lord. 
we'll find that he transforms our emotions and, and he transforms our will. And he transforms everything about us if we'll give him permission to do that. See, that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to regenerate us. Okay, number 12. Later, you can look up Isaiah 11, verse 2. You'll want to look it up later and mark it because this gives us the sevenfold character traits that come from the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to name them. But it's the spirit of wisdom. It's the spirit of understanding. And how many times do we need wisdom and understanding? It's the spirit of counsel. Not only counsel for us in, in the way that we should go, but counsel that we give out to other people. It's the spirit of strength. How many of us need strength? It's the spirit of knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord. And then it's the spirit of, of the fear of the Lord. And that takes in two elements. Always when there's the, the fear of the Lord, there's reverence and there's obedience. That makes up the fear of the Lord, reverence and obedience. Now, if you're lacking in any one of those areas, okay, that comes from the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask him. Now, no wonder Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit being an advantage. No wonder he said that. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface with those 12 things. You know, I didn't even get into the nine ways in which the Holy Spirit supernaturally manifests himself to accomplish uh, miracles in our ministry. Now, I'm going to give you one warning. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a person and he can be grieved. Now, that lets us know again that he is not some impersonal influence or some impersonal power. He is a very personal friend and we can grieve him. Now, the Bible gives us several ways in which we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you two references. Isaiah 63.10 tells us that rebellion against God grieves the Holy Spirit. Anytime we try to do our own thing, that's grievous to the Spirit. And then in Ephesians 4, 29 through 30, it tells us that any word that comes out of our mouth, anything that comes out of our mouth that does not edify and does not give grace to the one that hears, it will grieve the Holy Spirit. So we find that our actions, we find that our attitude, we find that our words are so very, very important. The Holy Spirit dwells with us. He knows every unwholesome word that comes out of our mouth. He knows every unwholesome thought that goes through our mind. He knows every unwholesome deed that we do. And when there's impurity and when there's any kind of unkind thought or untrue things in us or selfishness in us, those things don't edify. Therefore, they, they're not going to bring grace to the situation. And it grieves the Holy Spirit because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do otherwise. So it grieves him when we don't. Now, irreverence toward God will always grieve the Holy Spirit. He is a friend closer than a brother. If you ever have found a person who truly flows in the Holy Spirit, you've found someone who respects and reverences the Holy Spirit because as we respect him and as we reverence him, we're going to find ourselves flowing. Every single ministry that I've ever known that is infused with power plus being full of the fruit of the Spirit if they have both of those working together, you find a person that has come to know the Holy Spirit as a friend, friend with whom they, they walk and, and listen and have fellowship. And Paul tells us, in fact, he ends his letter, uh, the second letter to the Corinthians, he ends it by saying fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we just read over those, uh, the ending in those letters. But he says fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that means to have communion and partnership and friendship. I was saying, I want you to fellowship with him because I want you to be in partnership. If you ever have a friend that comes to your house, you're certainly never going to put that friend over in a corner and forget that they're there. 
You wouldn't do that. And you wouldn't sit down and do all the talking and never listen to that friend. If we could ever get hold of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I promise you we'd never have to deal with rejection. We'd never have to deal with loneliness or fear again because the Holy Spirit would be right there to help us in every need. Now, that needs to be the goal. That needs to be the objective of every Christian to have that kind of friendship. And God wants it for us. See, there's not a power struggle in heaven. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit to manifest Christ in us. Christ came to earth to glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit came to glorify the Son. There's not a power struggle. God the Father was answering the prayer of the Son when he sent the Holy Spirit. So we find that they're distinctively different, and yet they are one in unity and agreement. They're one in purpose and objective. And that's what we want to become, one with the Spirit. Now, some of you may be feeling really dry in your relationship with the Lord. I'm, I'm going to really encourage you just to get before the Lord and just determine in your heart that you're not going to leave until you get a fresh new anointing of the Holy Spirit. All of that is the anointing that comes from the, the Spirit, and it's the manifestation of the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our life. And He's there, and He's ready to fill us anew. Now, He wants every one of us to come to a place where we say, Lord, I'm not going to neglect what you've given me ever again. See, we've got to decide whether the Holy Spirit is some mysterious and, and wonderful power which we in our weakness and our ignorance are somehow able to get hold of and use or whether he's going to be a real person that's infinitely holy, infinitely wise and mighty and tender who has finally been able to get a hold of us to use us. So the question is not, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit and power? But the question really is, what do I need to do for the Holy Spirit to get more of me? And the first step is coming to a place where we say, Lord, I don't want to start dictating to you what you need to do. I want to just be restfully available and let you begin dictating to me. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.